0: Father, thank you for tonight and another wonderful evening of um, just spending time in good conversations, sitting at tables with uh, really amazing people and hearing stories and catching up. And it's so wonderful to be in, in the room down there and just filled with laughter and joy and connection that's happening community. Thanks for good food. And, and now for this time, uh, Father, to, to talk about Jesus. To talk about your son and who he is and what he has done, Father, open our eyes to see him in ways that, even though maybe maybe a lot of these texts are familiar to most of us, um, cause them to be fresh. As as I was looking at the text this afternoon, that was my heart cry. As, um, you know, it, it would be horrible to be bored with Jesus and truth about who he is. And so fire a a passion or rekindle passions in us for him. And we ask it in his mighty name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, if you're listening to the podcast, uh, just a note to you that there is a link in the notes of uh, the podcast on whatever player you're using, Spotify or Apple, and you can click on that PDF and download the PDF if you want the handout to follow along as you listen um, tonight. Oh, so first, there is yet again a new schedule. Uh, so the schedule over there is new. So if, if you want to know exactly where we're going and on what days we're going there, you want to grab one of those schedules on your way out. Um We're going to be traveling now to uh, Minnesota to see my Marine son who's going to be in Minnesota for two weeks for pre-deployment leave because he's deploying in April. And so I won't be here on the 3rd and so just had to kind of redo some of the, the topics. So we're going to be doubling up on some stuff. We'll see. We'll just see where we get. All right. So tonight is the person of the Messiah. Uh, what I'm thinking right now, my hope is that we'll talk about the person of the Messiah tonight, um, and next week, so focusing on his divinity, next week, spending some time talking about his humanity, and then on the work of the Messiah, Jesus. So last time we considered the problem of sin, and now we're turning our attention to the solution uh, among the realities of who Jesus is. He's the solution to the problem of sin. Uh, This one who is the God-man, Jesus the Messiah, the one who came into this world to save sinners. And I feel like I could steal from Paul, among whom I am chief. Um, Theologians call a study like this Christology. It consists of two main parts, the study of the person, of the Messiah Jesus and the study of the work of the Messiah Jesus. Who he is, in other words, who he is and what he has done. And our hope and our confidence depend on how we answer these crucial questions. Um, right? Part of why this is so important isn't, isn't merely kind of Jesus himself, as it were, but it is Jesus is the foundation of if if Christianity and everything that we believe and know and understand is like a gigantic tower of Jenga, you pull out the reality of Jesus as divine, as the Son of God, and everything just comes crashing down. Um, So today and next week, uh, I'm hoping in a couple of weeks, we're going to consider who Jesus the Messiah is and try and draw out some implications for our lives in that. The center of our faith and the source of our hope isn't a creed, an idea, an experience, even a church, or a philosophy. It's a person, Jesus, the Messiah. Knowing him isn't only the beginning of the Christian life, it is the whole of the Christian life. It is the whole of the Christian life. I the second week we were here, um, we were renting some bikes to go mountain biking because we had gone, well, we had gone on at least what Minnesotans call mountain biking until you actually come here and then you realize you had never been mountain biking, you had just been biking on a mountain bike. <coughs> now, we had some up and down and it was pretty cool and I really enjoyed it in Minnesota. But uh, So we were at Subculture and there's young man that was helping us get set up with our bikes and you know doing all the adjustments to our body and size and all the rest of it and um, started sharing that he's a Buddhist and and then invariably what happens is I try not to you know lead with the fact that I'm a pastor because things can get weird when you do that uh, with some people and and uh, but then he asked you know what do you do for a living Why, why are you in Colorado and since I try and maintain in some level of integrity, I, I answered that I'm a pastor of a church. And, and we got on this conversation, and he, he was really talking a lot about religion, which isn't... Some people can think that that's a bad word. I, I, I don't think that's necessarily a bad word. We, we have a religion. Um, but I told him, I said, you know, really the most important thing that I would love to talk to you about this afternoon is Jesus, because that's... At this new church, I'm a, a pastor. I'm a new pastor at this church, and uh, well, that's what we really care about. Like we, we want you to come, and we want you to know Jesus, and then the rest of the things will start to not figure themselves out, but you'll get it figured out with His help. And so that really and that really is true. It, it's why we've taken to saying that we want we exist to grow one step closer to Jesus. <laughs> because he is the whole of the Christian life. As believers, we know Jesus personally, which means Christology is deeply practical, just like all the other theology we've said. If it's not practical, it's not theology, or at least good theology. When we discuss the person of the Messiah, we always want to keep in mind this great mystery, that since since the incarnation, the Bible teaches that, this is Wayne Grudem's actually definition, Jesus the Messiah was fully God and fully man in one person and will be so forever. Which increases my love for him just contemplating that reality. So let's start with the deity of the Messiah tonight. Jesus the Messiah is fully God. This is a teaching from both the Old and New Testaments. And it's really overwhelming, this teaching. Uh, You know, as long as We've said this here before, you remember when I have said presupposition, you can be a presuppositionalist, remember that? So that it's okay to admit that you've got certain presuppositions when you're maybe talking with someone about what you believe and the doctrines that you believe. And so I think that the evidence for Jesus is overwhelming in the Old and New Testaments, and that changes my life. But the presupposition there is I believe in the authority and the inerrancy and infallibility the truth of this book, God's Word. So that's a presupposition I have. If you don't believe in this book, then it's hard to kind of listen to the arguments and really be persuaded, but I do. And that's where we're going to argue from tonight. So first, the deity of the Messiah in the Old Testament. In Luke 24, and there's going to be a lot of Bible tonight, so just get ready if you want to open your Bibles or open on your app. and um, If you want to try and see if you can keep up with the Bible drill and turn to them or or just write down the addresses in your, in your handout. Some of them are included, some aren't. Um, Jesus tells his disciples on the road to Emmaus that the Old Testament is all about him in Luke 24. In the Old Testament, we see prophecies concerning his coming, right the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the forever king, his triumphant reign. And we learn how he has worked for the salvation of his people from the beginning, Luke 24, 44. Jesus told his disciples, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. He's grabbing hold of these Old Testament texts and prophecies. First, we see the Son of Man. Daniel's vision of the Son of Man in Daniel 7, this glorious description of the heavenly throne room and at the center of this scene is the Ancient of Days who is seated upon his throne. Just a few verses later, Daniel describes another vision, but this time he sees another figure, the Son of Man. Daniel 7, verse 13. I continued watching in the night visions. Suddenly one like a Son of Man was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. And he was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. So um, we're going to build an argument here as we go through the text, okay? So you just... We're going to wait and see, okay, what does Jesus have to say about these texts? So before you say, well, how do you know for sure that that's Jesus? And we're going to see those connections start to unfold. But here we see the Son of Man receiving worship from all nations and ruling over an eternal kingdom, which I think seems to clearly imply a divine rule. And who is this Son of Man? Jesus conspicuously uses the title for himself as he teaches about him. He says of himself in Matthew 25, 31, and 32, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Do you hear Daniel 7? Mm-hmm. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. We see reference in the Old Testament to the son of David. The story of God over the course of the Old Testament builds this expectation that a son of David is coming who will reign on David's throne forever. One thinks of, uh, is it the blind man sitting by the side of the road? Son of David, son of David, have mercy on me. A A remarkable thing that it was the blind man who saw something about Jesus before so many others. We see God promising this son of David who would come to reign on his throne forever in 2 Samuel seven thirteen. This one, he, he is the one who will build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And yet this highly anticipated son is described in terms that are unmistakably divine. The king himself sings in Psalm 2, 7, I will declare Yahweh's decree. He said to me, you are my son, Today I have become your father. So the son of David is also the son of God. Now that could mean simply that this king represents God like a son, but other passages suggest that it means more than that. Psalm 72 depicts foreign kings bowing down before this king. People from all nations blessing his name. Psalm 45 verses 6 and 7 gets even more explicit about this. Your throne, God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of justice. You love righteousness, you hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of joy more than your companions. The king is referred to as God and Hebrews 1 verses eight and nine teaches that the connection between those, that that, those passages are about Jesus. We see this similarly in Isaiah nine, six and seven. A child will be born for us. A son will be given to us. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast. And you see, we hear that over and over again. Its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David. right? So bringing the strands together and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and Forever. The zeal of Yahweh of heaven's armies will accomplish this. So who uh,
1: classical music and uh, a, a real uh, visual for this or a, a word for this. Messiah.
0: Yeah, handles. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah. And he shall reign forever and ever.
1: He shall reign forever. <laughs>
0: Too much, huh, Kyle? Too much. So who is this king? He is a royal son of David who is also the mighty God. His name is Everlasting Father. Not in the sense that he is God the Father, but that he is a king who rules benevolently like a loving father would rule. And this royal figure, the teaching of the scriptures, is Jesus the Messiah. That's what Messiah means after all, right? In, in the semantic range of The word is anointed one, king. In Romans 1, 1 and 4, because, you know, why not go to Romans? Paul says the good news is a message about God's son. Paul, servant of Messiah Jesus, called as an apostle and set apart for the good news of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures Concerning his son, Jesus Messiah, our king, who was a descendant of David according to the flesh and was appointed to be the powerful son of God according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. Have you all seen the movie um, The Nativity? Has anyone seen Nativity? Maybe some of you have watched Chose, the Chosen I, I have not watched but maybe a couple of episodes of The Chosen But I think one of the things that can be really powerful about movies that seek to tell the story and, and, and do it you know, as close as they can to the scriptures and they've got a little bit of funds to have a, a fairly decent production value and they're trying to honor the narrative the, the actual story um, there's this one spot in the nativity where an old Hebrew woman, all the children of the village come running in. She's just bought some bread from a little bread seller that's going around to the different homes in the villages. And, and they're all gathering around her as she sits by the fire. And she starts telling stories like this, like stories of Yahweh and, and what he has done and all this expectation for a great king and, you know, who he is. And and I think sometimes when we come to our Bibles, we, we don't think of it like that in... in and as we work through these texts, I hope that you can think of it like that, that you, that there's this amazing Father, Creator, God, who is, has sent His Son into the world, and, and, and we're seeing like these connections, this, this great King David, and these great prophets, and all of these prophecies, and Jesus is fulfilling all of them, and He's doing this amazing work as this person who is the Son of God, and the King of kings, and the Lord of lords, and the creator of all things. And it's just really moving to me when you, when you allow yourself to be swallowed up in the story instead of, I think when I was a kid in, in my 20s and even into my early 30s, it was just kind of all of these propositional doctrinal pieces of kind of like facts and just flotsam and jetsam instead of there's this really rich story that's happening in the world that I'm a part of. And I'm getting swept up in. And it allows, I think, to step back, like the wonder of these little children as they're listening to this, you know, saying the text that they've heard over and over again. They're finishing her sentences. To know the stories that way and to be swept up in the stories that way and to pass them on. There's, you know, a fair amount of gray hair in this room. There's grandchildren that are in your lives. And pass like, do your kids sit around? Do you, are you able to tell the story of Jesus that way? Just naturally, because you know it so well. It's amazing. He's amazing. The deity of the Messiah in the New Testament. So how's the Old Testament, now New Testament. There's this gradual crescendo now. That's kind of what I'm on about. Hopefully, I'm on about this, this expectation that's building, Right? for a divine son of God. That's what 400 years in the intertestamental period between our Old Testament and our New Testament, right? This buildup, this longing, John the baptizer coming and making declarations and there hadn't been a prophet, there hadn't been a word from God. It's all that expectations building. Let's look at six ways that this part of history teaches that Jesus is fully God. Number one, Jesus the Messiah is called God. John one one says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Romans nine five calls Jesus the Messiah, who is God over all, blessed forever. Titus two thirteen calls Jesus our great God, and Savior, the Messiah. We have so many instances where the words used for God, theos, and master, our king, kurios, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, so we see all of those words. Those same words are now applied directly to Jesus. Perhaps one of the most staggering examples of this is Philippians 2.11, where Paul says that every tongue will confess that Jesus, the Messiah, is kurios to the glory of God the Father. Here, Paul is quoting Isaiah 45, 23, nearly word for word. And yet the one to whom every knee bows and every tongue swears allegiance in Isaiah 45 is none other than Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel. So for Paul's readers familiar with the story of the language of the Old Testament, the apostle could not be any clearer. He is making the claim that Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is God. Number two, Jesus the Messiah claimed to be God. Second, we have Jesus' claims regarding himself. There is his great statement, this cataclysmic statement in John 8, 58, before Abraham was born, I am. Now, why was that so cataclysmic? Because everybody knew what he was saying when he said that. All the Jews knew, like Yahweh, which is Yeah, depending on the scholar you read, there's some disagreement. Is it just is it merely a verbal form? I I tend to. That's where I tend to lean that it's literally. Some argue that it it, it can be like a noun form, but Yahweh means um, if you were to translate it, I will be who I will be. That there's this there's this real ever present reality. Um, I am. I, I am existence, in other words. Um, I think would be one way to think about that, have that land on you. The Jews understood that he was claiming to be God. Because this was God's way of identifying himself to Moses. And they got that very clearly, right? Because when he said that, what did they do? Do you they remember they the story? <laughs> they picked up stones to stone him. Because their unbelieving hearts judged this to be a blasphemous statement that Jesus was equating himself with God. Now, in one sense, we should be sympathetic to their picking up stones to stone him because they were being true to the law. It was blasphemy, unless you actually are God, which Jesus is. In John 10.30, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. And again, the Jewish leaders attempt to stone him. Because we read in John 10.33, we aren't stoning you for a good work, the Jews answered, but for blasphemy. Because you being a man are making yourself to be God. Jesus claimed to be God. Number three, Jesus the Messiah is presented as the object of our faith, and trust of the believers' faith and trust. In John 14:1, Jesus says, believe in God, believe also in me. And that's what believers do. They venture all their trust on God and therefore on the Messiah. In 1 Thessalonians 1:3, Paul speaks of the believers' steadfastness of hope in our Master, Jesus the Messiah. In John 17, 3, eternal life is to know Jesus the Messiah. Since the Old Testament consistently teaches us to hope and trust only in God, we take this as evidence that trusting in Jesus is trusting in God. He is the object of our faith and trust. Number four, Jesus the Messiah is presented as the object of the believer's worship. Judaism was staunchly monotheistic, right, in a. Culture that was polytheistic, and it re- reacted strongly to any sort, of, any sort of worship of anyone or anything other than God, because that was idolatry. Therefore, the worship of Jesus and Jesus' acceptance of worship is a marker, another pointer towards his Godness. Even at the very beginning, Matthew chapter two, verses ten to eleven, when they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshiped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. John five twenty two twenty three, 23. The Father, in fact, judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son so that all people may honor the Son just as they honor the Father Anyone who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Recall that in Isaiah 48, 11, God declares, I will act for my own sake, indeed my own, for how can I be defiled? I will not give my glory to another. But that's not a problem for Jesus because Jesus is God, and so he can receive worship, he can receive honor, he can receive glory. From his birth in Matthew 2 all the way to the heavenly throne room in Revelation, Jesus receives all of those. Worship, glory, and honor. It's not blasphemy or idolatry. It's right. It's right. Delightfully so. Because Jesus is God. And so we worship him. Number five. Jesus the Messiah is described as both being God and performing the very works of God. Turn to John 1. John 1, 1 to 3, and 14 to 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and all things were created through him. And apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we observed his glory. This is John writing now, one of his closest friends. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, this was the one of whom I said, the one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. Which John is that? John the the baptizer. Verse 16. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth come through Jesus, the Messiah. No one has ever seen God. The one and only Son, who is himself God and is at the Father's side, he has revealed him. Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 4. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word after making purification for sins he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high so he became superior to the angels just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs colossians 1:15 following he is the image of the invisible god the firstborn over all creation for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth the visible and the invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things. And by Jesus, all things hold together, including us. Because He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Jesus and through Jesus to reconcile everything to himself whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Fires me up, brother. This is the word of God. This is the word of God. Amen. And we're going to meet him someday. Amen. We're going to see him face to face. I mean, when you hear these things, I just, my heart's just like, Maranatha come right now. I had my little triple berry cobbler thingy and <laughs> I'm, ha- I'm ready, Jesus. Like, let's go, like, come Jesus the Messiah is assumed to have been pre-existent as the eternal son of God prior to his incarnation This is an important point because it emphasizes that God the son has always existed It is not that Jesus a human being became God somehow say by a miraculous birth or some kind of marvelous baptism no it's the other way around God, the second person of the Trinity, took on a human nature in addition to his divine nature. The incarnation is not subtraction, but addition. Now, we, we've talked about that before. That's where words fail. It's like it's this hard, it's this hard thing when we, we talk about the attributes of God, right? That, that he never changes, he's always, always been the same. There's no shifting or turning of shadow. And, and yet, we can say, in some sense, there's been addition. So this tension that we have, we see this in a passage like Philippians two six and seven. We talked about this a little bit the other night. Adopt the same attitude as that of Messiah Jesus, who existing. So so Paul's Paul's talking about right. This is how we can learn. There's there's another aim in this text, but but what we see in the text is information about Jesus and in the incarnation. He's talking about humility. I, I, I want you to, that's his point, and he's grounding that we need to be humble by following the example of Jesus. And then he describes well, how was humility, humility expressed by Jesus? Who, existing in the form of God, Philippians 2 6, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself. And these are really important things to understand exactly what's going on here. By assuming the form of a servant, Mm -hmm. taking on the likeness of humanity, and when he had come as a man. Um,
1: It's hard. How do you empty yourself but
0: not lessen yourself? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I started on. On my website on um, Ash Wednesday, I'm posting something every single day reflecting on this season of, of Lent, the, the season that's headed towards Holy Week. Um, I'm doing study for my own soul in my morning liturgy and just sharing a little bit of that overflow. The, the other morning, uh, I posted something from uh, Hugh Martin. So this was... Hugh Martin lived from 1822 to 1885. Uh, this was roughly in the 60s, I think, when, when he wrote this. And I, I want you to hear his words because what he's trying to do, because this is what has been so good each morning, these mornings, to, to meditate on who Jesus is. It's part of the liturgy as I head towards Holy Week, who Jesus is, what he's doing, what, what is bound up in the passion of the Messiah, Right as a way to get my heart just really full for Holy Week. Um, Here's here's what he says as he tries to paint this picture of what was happening in the incarnation of our King and our Savior Jesus. For while he is eternally in the bosom of the Father, as for us, so, so that was his state, eternally, in the bosom of the Father. As for us, each of us was as one cut off from him, cast out from his presence, wrapped up in his own curse. That's it, right. We came into this world cursed. Even thus poor did Emmanuel, this is a little bit Yoda-like, even thus poor did Emmanuel become for us. Thus cursed did the blessed one submit to be? So he's eternally in the bosom of the Father and he looks at us, wrapped up in our curse, and says, I'm willing to take that on for you. Mm-hmm. For into our place, though it was ominously distinguished as the dwelling place of the curse, this, this flesh, this body, this sin that we're born into and conceived in, Jesus in his love consented to come. And his father's wrath became then his portion. It is thus that he became acquainted with grief. It is thus the blessed one became a man of sorrows. Anxieties, cares, hunger, thirst, wounds, stripes, agony, bloodshed, accursed death, accrued, Unto him, his father far from helping him, concealing his love for him, hiding his countenance, appearing against him, armed with an offended judge's indignation, forsaking him to the malignity of men and the onset of principalities and powers of darkness drawing against him the sword of justice and calling on the sword to awake and smite and slay him. Such was the inexpressible exchange which Jesus made when he took our curse upon him to bear it. He indeed suffered for our sins. The just for the unjust. Wow. Those old dead guys could write.
1: May I make a comment here? I mean, that's a wonderful portrayal of the humiliation of the incarnation. But at at least three points, God says, this is my beloved son. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are moments... It's not an yeah. entire life of right. blackness. Yes, of course. Which I think Hugh Martin kind of suggests.
0: Yeah, it's, there's balance, certainly. There is just pressing into the... I, I think part of the way to look at that, though, is that both the light and the darkness all serve... Um, how that landed on me when I read it was it served to increase my love. For Jesus for what he's taking on, um, you know. It, it's almost as if he's expounding an understanding of all the way back to Genesis three, right? Like to just know that this is the one who will come and mm-hmm. put his put his foot on the head of the serpent and oh, yeah. and be bitten. Mm-hmm. To Kyle's point, Jesus didn't give up his divinity as we see in this inexpressible exchange but one way to maybe say it would be he gave up the status and the privilege of his heavenly standing I I think that's a bit of the it's almost (laughs) um, it's almost like some of these you know we we watch some of these romantic comedy movies where it's, it's some you know young princess and she just wants to be out with the common folk right so she what does she do she takes off her her crown she takes off all of the royal garb, all the accoutrement, all of the, you know, the, the whole uh, entourage. And, and she just wants to, you know, how many Disney princesses have we seen do this? And, and, and what is that? It's, a, it's this attempt to lay aside royalty, to lay aside status, to lay aside the power that's available. To, are they any less a princess when they go walking out amongst the common people? They're still every bit a princess or prince. And so Jesus... And he chose, in submission to the Father, to do that. Um, we could look at Second Timothy one nine and ten. God gave us grace in that He has saved us, quote, and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works. Again, right? We're we're looking at um, the Messiah is pre-existent. Called us not a, with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Messiah. Jesus, before time began. And this has now, in a present age, been made evident through the appearing. So he appeared. He had to appear, but he was there before the time began. He's appearing now in this age. This Savior, Messiah Jesus, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the good news. In these passages, Paul isn't trying to demonstrate the pre-existence of the Messiah. He's arguing for something else on the basis of a commonly held belief in the Messiah as the eternal Son of God. In other words, he is not arguing for the pre-existence of the Messiah. He is arguing from it, which is amazing. right? So presupposition, presupposing that reality. Thus, Scripture is absolutely clear. Jesus the Messiah is God seen at least six ways. One helpful way to remember that is a little acronym that was here in this curriculum. We're not going to focus on that. I'm not too big on acronyms. Um, questions or comments so far before we talk about the Chalcedonian definition? Just a brief comment.
1: Um, it's clear that Jesus in humanity concealed his glory,
0: Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, Yeah, right. Yeah, just a partial. Yeah, yeah. One thinks of. uh, It certainly has to be with Moses and Elijah there, of course, connected to Moses getting time with Yahweh and put a veil on Moses. We can't just even being in this a little bit rubbing off, a little bit of the glory rubbing off like too much for the people. Um, Yeah. That rise me too, I think it's Isaiah six the call Ah Woe Lo and Go for I'll say again that?
1: like that, that's how I nickname it, ah, woe low and go.
0: <laughs> Is that six or nine? I'm
1: not sure. But chapter six
0: Chapter yeah, yeah, chapter six. Yeah. And I suppose that was, was Christ to me. Some some look similar to the god here, but it sure reminds me of what you hmm, Yeah. other questions or
1: It's terrifying. Mm. Mm. It's terrifying. I mean, in a beautiful way, but you mm. are along for the ride. <laughs> and you just the smallest little sense of God's power. Mm. When you, it, it, which is why I, when people when I hear people say, you know, "Holy Spirit, bring you know, bring revival," I'm like, mm. it's terrifying. <laughs> <You> know, just <laughs> understand in the littlest bit what you're asking for. I'm not saying it's a wrong request. That's not mm-hmm. what I'm saying when God moves, it is just overwhelming yeah. how easy he makes whatever he chooses to do what looks insurmountable to us as humans. Mm-hmm. And
0: yeah. yeah, it makes me think of, when you say it, a, a couple of instances in the scriptures, right? Like Jesus talking about, hey, just like the wind blows where it will, it, mm-hmm. it will blow where it will. And, yeah. mm-hmm. and isn't it in Acts, the, the foundations are shaken when the, like literally shaken. And uh and yeah, so <laughs> be careful what you wish for is is the old cliche. You know,
1: when the Holy Spirit moves it is it's it sticks with you. Yeah. I mean I still yeah. remember it vividly. Yeah. But in the midst of the excitement it is terrifying. Mm. Yeah. It, is terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. it is terrifying. Yeah. I remember when I yeah. say <laughs> I'll never forget it. Sitting at that kitchen table, just, just man. Mm. Gosh, yeah. When he moves, he moves. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. Hmm.
0: It's good friends.
1: Sorry, there's a sales pitch by the way for testimonies in the church. Oh yeah. Other people's stories are, yeah. are
0: powerful. Yeah. 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 So Paul Jansen,
1: I know you've got stories. But share them, <laughs> <laughs> like maybe not right now. <laughs>
0: As you can imagine, the question of how Jesus has both a divine and human nature in one person has led to some measure of thought over the centuries by theologians and believers, which would be an understatement. And when rightly pursued, it's led to considerable delight. Um, It shouldn't, it should bring delight, right? There should be joy in our theological pursuits. We believe this is because it is the evident teaching of Scripture, that there is both a divine and human nature in one person, in Jesus. Next week, we're going to think about the full humanity of Jesus. But right now, having considered his deity, it could be helpful to look at a key historical statement about his divine and human natures. It's called the Chalcedonian Definition of 451 A.D. It's included there in your handout, and... Many Christians have agreed on this statement uh, for centuries because they've recognized that the person of the Messiah is a critical doctrine. As I said at the beginning, if you get Jesus wrong, everything else falls out of place. This statement summarizes, right? So this is We, we say creeds, we've, we say catechal questions and answers at times in our services at Grace. And, and we do that because they're valuable restatements of biblical truth to help us understand, to say them in ways that get them locked into our minds, to review, to, to not just merely um, to merely be biblical, which could sound like, well, isn't being biblical everything? Um, no, we want to be theological. We, we want to draw meaning out of the Bible in bring it to understanding about who God is. And that, that's why creeds and doctrines and catechisms and confessions are written. So it, this one has withstood the test of time. So to help you digest it a little bit, uh, what I've done is put statements on the Messiah's divine nature in bold and statements on his human nature in italics. And... We're not going to spend a great deal of time studying. I, I just want to, just wanted to get it under your noses, and and so that you have it and you can read it and think about it, um, ponder it as you have opportunity. So let me read it for us, and then if there's comments and questions, then we can do that. We then, following the holy fathers, all with one consent, teach men to confess one and the same. Son, our Lord Jesus, the Messiah, the same perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood. So perfect here meaning complete in all respects, whole, truly God and truly man of a reasonable soul and body, consubstantial with the Father according to the Godhead. To which you said, what in the world does consubstantial mean? That means having the same substance or essence. So Jesus has the same substance or essence with the Father according to the Godhead. And, so he's consubstantial with God, and consubstantial with us according to the manhood. In all things like unto us without sin begotten before all ages of the Father according to the Godhead in these latter days for us and for our salvation. Born of the Virgin Mary, the mother of God, not in a Roman Catholic sense, mother of God, but in a simple biological reality of that's how Jesus came into the world, conceived of the Spirit in Mary's womb according to the manhood. One and the same the Messiah, Son, Lord, only begotten, to be acknowledged in two natures, inconfusedly, which means not mixed up or in disorder, inconfusedly, unchangeable, indivisibly, inseparably. The distinction of natures being by no means taken away by the union. Okay, so united, one, not 50%, 50%, right? One, fully God and fully man. 100%, 100%. Those are distinctions and yet a unity. One. The property of each nature being preserved and concurring in one person and one subsistence, not parted or divided into two persons, but one and the same son and only begotten God the Word, the Lord Jesus the Messiah, as the prophets from the beginning have declared concerning him, and the Lord Jesus the Messiah himself has taught us. So we've we've seen those texts, right? If you look back now at all those texts that we went through, you'll you'll see bits and pieces represented here. Um, And the Creed of the Holy Fathers has handed down to us. So there you go. If you've never heard it before, now you have. Yes. So I'd never heard of the Chalcedonian
1: definition and it and it's very clear on on
0: God and Jesus. Did it also expand or have a definition that brought in the Holy Spirit and the Trinity? Does someone know the, I don't actually know the answer to that. It's a great this question. Is just, this is just a Christological point. Yeah, so there's the, the
1: Chalcedonian
0: doctrine doctrine is way bigger than the Yeah, right. Okay. Right. And and so my question is did it, it
1: the Holy Spirit, on the Holy Spirit. yes, it did. This, mm-hmm. like when you, when we do the Apostles' Creed on Sunday morning, it's a great expansion of the it Apostles' is, Creed, and, and <laughs> this is much more than that. Part of it is because understanding has grown, I guess, maybe, but part of it, and, and Matthew can speak to it. Much of this is reaction to heresy, right? yeah oh, mistruth, yes. And so that's why. The great
0: Lord, point. Yeah.
1: whoever whoever you want to talk about, there were challenges to the deity of Christ. There were challenges. Even a comment about of reasonable soul and body. I just, this is what I did in college too. 32 hours. (laughs) Four years. um, Yeah, the later into the different creeds you get more detail. Because
0: they're reactionary. Yeah, that's that's a great point to bring it. No, no, Uh, but yeah, but to correct error. yeah. Yeah. It's a great point. Well,
1: think about Paul's letters. They're there to correct errors too. Right? Yeah. And John's letters. I mean, that's going on from pretty much day one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's helpful. Mm-hmm. Very helpful. Thank you. Mm. All right. Point five, Roman numeral five, the importance and beauty of the Messiah's deity. So, what's the point? What, you know? Speaking of reactions, <laughs> what should our reaction and response be is but to see the, Messiah, the Messiah's deity as both supremely important and to see his deity and him as beautiful. When we rightly understand the person of the Messiah, it should lead us to joy and confidence and worship. So why does it matter? Number one, the deity of the Messiah matters for revelation. God hasn't merely sent us a prophet, messenger, or press secretary. He hasn't just given us a book. He has given us himself. That's remarkable. He has given us himself. Think of the difference between how you would feel if Someone showed up at your doorstep with a message. This is from the president. Like, that'd be pretty cool. Regardless of your political leanings or, or, or party. I still think it would be pretty cool to get a letter from the president of the United States. But imagine if, he, if the president showed up at your doorstep. I need to work on my illustrations. (laughs) Imagine if Taylor Swift sent you a message. So there, Andrea. Yeah. <laughs> it's good to see you retract your earlier statements. Mm-hmm. In one sense, um, there, there are certain things that we don't have to wonder about God. I, I initially had, like, we don't have to wonder about what he's like. But we do because we don't. He's, I can't get my arms, mind, anything around him. But there's so many things that we, we don't have to wonder about. Um, we read it earlier in Hebrews 1, long ago and many times in, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. So that deity matters for the, the revelatory work that God is doing. John 1.18, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. No one has ever seen God. Should pause there. No one has ever seen God the only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. So Jesus is, we want to see the Father. I'm here. Don't you, you have seen the Father. I'm here. We can sometimes struggle with how to imagine God. Michael Reeves, a British theologian, for all our dreams, Maybe our dark and frightened imaginings of God in our sinfulness. There is no God in heaven who is unlike Jesus. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father, he said. God cannot be otherwise. So we see Jesus, we see God. We don't have to be afraid in him. If you want to know God, look to Jesus, the Messiah. He is God in the flesh. Which, you know, means we need to read our Bibles to state the obvious. To, to not, to, to just be hungry, to ask God, make me hungry for the scriptures, to see these pictures and images and to listen to people who have skill to unpack them for us and, and reveal and like part of what we want to happen when we talk about him and when we ponder him and we meditate on him and we share on him, I, I've so often thought of, you know, it's the old Star Wars movie, right? You remember when, when R2-D2 gets sent by Princess Leia to Obi-Wan? Uh, Kenobi, and the little hologram of her comes out, right? Like, help us, Obi Wan, Kenobi. You're our only hope. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what, that's what I ask God to do with, with this. Like, I open up, and I want, to, I want to see. I, I want Him to, the words to be shaped, in the like. I can see him. and by the power of the Holy Spirit, this, this part of the Trinity, this Person of God. His goal is to illuminate my mind, to illuminate the scriptures and to illuminate my mind, to do the holographic display so that I can see Jesus. The deity of the Messiah matters for salvation. The constant message of the Bible is that no mere man could achieve salvation for himself, let let alone on behalf of others. Salvation belongs to Yahweh, Jonah 2.9 declares. God himself achieves this salvation, and he does so in the person of his son. In a striking phrase in Acts twenty twenty-eight, Paul teaches that God bought the church with his own blood. His own blood. Because the blood of a mere man would not atone for countless millions and trillions and trillions and gazillions and whatever the higher numbers are of sins. Colossians 1.19, for God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Jesus. All. And through Jesus to reconcile everything to himself. He is unstoppable, brothers and sisters. Isn't that just great news? He's unstoppable. If he wants you, he will get you. There's nothing I could do to stop God's plan and purpose in my life. There's nothing you can do to stop it in yours. And it frees you from anxiety and worry about the people that you're trying to reach. If he wants to save them, he will. I mean, if you, Of course we feel the weight of that. Of course we feel a sadness if they don't see him, yes. But we're to throw that right back onto God and just say, okay, I know that you will get those that are yours. Every, you know all of your sheep, and when they hear your voice, they'll come.
1: I so, um, I is in quite a, a periodology, but I think of the, uh, I think is is it one sixteen him all things hold together, mm-hmm. and they have a big uh, atom smasher in Europe that's six miles long. They still don't know what
0: awesome i've been to a particle accelerator actually <laughs> only the god man could serve as the perfect mediator between man and god 1 timothy 2 5 <laughs> jesus didn't merely die as a good example he died as a sinless sacrifice <laughs> he's a good teacher well that really doesn't do much for my eternal soul He died, the righteous for the unrighteous, 1 Peter 3.18, that he might bring us to God. And his resurrection proves his divinity, as Hebrews 7.16 teaches. Jesus is our high priest by the power of an indestructible life. (laughs) The true superman. This means that sin-stained rebels like us have a sure and steady hope, an anchor for our souls. Our salvation doesn't come through higher consciousness, positive thinking, religiosity, the five pillars of Islam, the eightfold path of Buddhism, all of which assume that human beings can basically be delivered from our plight with enough discipline and devotion. God himself accomplishes and guarantees our redemption. That's our only hope. Trust in the Messiah. And you will never be disappointed. Number three, the deity of the Messiah matters for the Christian life. Our salvation is not some sort of of get-out-of-hell transaction. It is not. It's a transformation of who we are. We go from being represented by Adam to being united with the Messiah. Jesus, the Messiah, is in you, Paul tells the Corinthians. The Messiah dwells in us by his spirit. And that is why we can walk in a way that is pleasing to God. We're going to see this on Sunday, Romans 13. Let us walk. Let us put off depravity and shed all of this darkness, this, this night kind of activity. And let us put on armor of light. And how do I do that? By putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. Making no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So it, what does that say? There is endless possibility in my life because I've put on, like, like clothes, like really, really good clothes. I've put him on. That's how Paul talks in Corinthians: he put on love and humility and peace and joy. And we're Coloradans; we know how to layer. <laughs> Romans 8, 10, and 11. Now if the Messiah is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, and He does, then He who raised Messiah from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through His Spirit who lives in you. Amen. So take heart as you struggle against sin and temptation. You When you were regenerated, you became a new person empowered by the Spirit of Jesus. Sin is never inevitable for the Christian. It no longer defines us. It's not the defining characteristic of who we are. Jesus defines us. He is the defining characteristic of who we are. Take hold of your identity, family. And then know and adore the Messiah that's how I want you to walk away from everything we talked about today in relationship to Jesus. We should seek to know the Messiah. John Owen. You love him not because you know him not. You love him not because you know... So if, if you say, my, my passions feel so inadequate for Jesus, I, I, I don't feel strong affection. I don't, I don't feel love. How well do you know him? How much do you think about him? Let me give you one more meditation from my musings, my Easter musings. This is John Calvin. I'm giving this to you as an example. Don't... (laughs) You should do this. I don't care if... you know how to write poetry don't know how to write poetry if you're bad at writing letters you're great at writing you should think and try and put in your own words generally that happens best at the end of a page. all the research even today is saying it it happens that we think best with a writing utensil not even an not an apple pencil on a digital pad but a, a pencil on paper there's something they're discovering things neurologically about what that does for, for how we think and how we grab hold of things and how it sinks into us. So just start, read about Jesus, and then try and put in your own words, address him when you do it, or how would I explain to my grandchild what I learned about Jesus today? Write that down. That's all that Calvin is doing here. And it's beautiful what he does. That's why I want to read it to you. We see that our whole salvation And all its parts are comprehended in the Messiah. If we seek strength, it lies in His dominion. If purity, in His conception. If gentleness, it appears in His birth. If we seek redemption, it lies in His passion. If acquittal, in His condemnation. If remission of the curse, in His cross. If satisfaction, in his sacrifice, if purification in his blood, if reconciliation in his descent into hell, if mortification of the flesh in his tomb, if newness of life in his resurrection, if immortality in the same, if inheritance of the heavenly kingdom in his entrance into heaven, if protection Security, abundant supply of all blessings in his kingdom. If untroubled expectation of judgment and the power given to him to judge. In short, since rich store of every kind of good abounds in Jesus, let us drink our fill from this fountain and from no other. (laughs) I have nothing else to say.
1: Mm, yeah. That he was judge, mm-hmm. he prophet, he's priest, he's king. Yeah. He fills every role yeah. of God's progressively more distant interaction with the people. You know, from Adam and Eve, yeah. who he walked with, he continued to pull away and kept trying, kept trying, kept trying, and, and Jesus is every one of those steps. I mean it was it was humanity. more my understanding of his completeness. Yeah. I've never mm-hmm. fully it, but that he fills
0: of roles. And I think Kyle when you say that like my immediate emotional response is excitement. Yeah. Like again connected to the story. I just think it's so yeah, I just get giggly and bubbly because it it, it just it's so amazing who he is. We we, we should so, we should so be out shining like People who can talk all day about Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady or right like and there's a certain rightness to that. I mean, if you are a Chiefs fan, man, look at this guy. We got this guy, and he can do this, and he can do that, and like no look passes, and he can run, and he scores the touchdowns, and three Super Bowls of the last four, and he's been in every AFC championship, and we're just like, yeah, you know what? Our guy defeated Satan. Our guy takes care of. Our guy, he gives me eternal life. Our guy gives me hope when I'm down, joy when I'm sad. He takes away fear and anxiety and stress when I fully trust in him and everything that he can do. Like, I mean, we just have, like, the greatest superhero, the greatest sports star, the greatest... Like, he just outshines all of them. And I I know that it's... Yes. uh, And that's kind of why. That's why I thought, like, when you're saying that, Kyle, because that's, yeah, he walks through all of that, and like, I'm gonna show you this done right. Like, I'm just gonna show you. Like, there is no judge like me. There is no king like me. There is no prophet like me. Um, And can you imagine? I mean, we're just. (sighs) Someday, I'm gonna look out at. You know, some ocean, whatever we're calling the Atlantic in the new heavens and new earth. Maybe we're still calling it the Atlantic. And I'm just going to, you know, set my appointment, however you set the appointment with Jesus. You know, however hundreds of millions of people, billions of people over the ages have been saved by him. Like, and I'm going to get to throw a chair with you, G- Like, because he's a great carpenter, right? Like, he's going to teach me how to, th- how do I make a chair? Let's make a chair together. And we're going to talk. Going to happen. It's going to happen. You get to cook with them, Suzette. Like, let's do a meal. <laughs> just. We're going to feast with him. We're going to drink the best wine in the great. Uh, anyway, Father, thank you for tonight. And Jesus, thank you for being everything you are and revealing glimpses. Uh, like, like Claude reminded us of the Transfiguration it, it, like one of the truest glimpses and, and they just Peter just fell down and didn't want to go anywhere just immediately wanted to build tents and stay and um, we're just so we're so excited for the day when faith will no longer be necessary and we will see you face to face what a day that will be Thanks for these dear friends, just for their involvement tonight and participating, giving comments, asking questions. It's such a joy to learn together. Um, Continue to cause us to go deeper into Jesus, Father. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.